morning, Keystone. If you want to, if you have your Bibles with you, you want to open up to 1 Kings 19. Uh, that's where we're going to be wrapping up our series this morning called Strange Encounters. Uh, I want to start by having you picture yourself in a scenario with me. I want you to picture yourself in the middle of the woods. Maybe some of you were out hunting this past week, and so it's not too hard to picture yourself in that scenario because you were in the woods a lot. But maybe the second part is a little bit harder. Uh, You have just ran 10 miles into a national forest on a trail. Maybe for you, the picture ended about nine and a half miles earlier where you're like, I'm not running any more than half a mile. But let's say you did, and you're 10 miles in, and on that 10th mile, the unthinkable happens. You hit a, a patch of ice, your leg gives out, you fall, and as you fall, you hear a crack. You, you look up when you're on the ground and you realize, my ankle's just broken. I'm not going to be able to walk on this. And so as, as the pain starts to set in, you pull out your cell phone, only to realize, I've got no service. And so you start to yell out for help, only to realize, no one's around, I'm completely alone here. And you realize it's five o'clock in February, the sun's going down, the temperature's going to drop or is dropping, and you've got to do something or you're going to freeze to death. This is actually the exact scenario that Joseph Ollendorf found himself in last February in the middle of Olympic National Park. And so his response was to crawl hand and knees 10 miles back down the rocky, icy trail that he had just ran up. Crawl, so much so that his, his legs started to rub raw, so he took off his shoes and put them on his knees to help. And, and he said there's there many times where he felt like stopping, but, but he knew if I stop, I'm going to die. I'm going to freeze to death. And so he crawled for 10 and a half hours until a rescue team could finally meet up with him and get him out. So afterwards, people asked him, like, what, when you felt like you had had enough, when you were just on the verge of, I'm going to give up, what kept you going? And his response was, the the thought of my family hearing that I was going to, or that I died in the wilderness was unbearable. I, I couldn't bear to think that they would hear that I had died somewhere out here in the wilderness. And so I kept going. This morning, the story that we're going to look at, Elijah is in a somewhat similar situation. He hasn't run into, or hasn't gone on a trail run, but he is in the middle of the wilderness, and he is running for his life, and he is ready to throw in the towel, and he does say, I've had enough. And my hope is that as we look at the story of Elijah this morning and see how God responds to him, we'll see that when we feel like we have had enough, God is still enough. When we have had enough and want to throw in the towel and say, I'm done, God is still enough in the midst of those moments. I I really just want to ask two questions this morning and, and hopefully answer those questions. The first is, what do we have in common with Elijah? As we look at his story in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18, what what do we have in common with Elijah? And then the second question is, how does God respond to us in the midst of our discouragement? 
What do we have in common with Elijah? How does God respond to us in the midst of our discouragement? And we're going to take the passage just kind of bit by bit this morning rather than reading all through it at once. And so let me, let me pray for us before we jump into the first part and answer that first question. Father God, we, we pray with David this morning when he says in Psalm 16, you are my Lord. What good do I have apart from you? God, I, I confess that there, there are many times where I, I think I, I don't really believe that. That when things are going really well in my life, everything's going good, that I tend to maybe even forget about you or, or just forget that you are the giver of every good thing. And when things are going bad and I'm discouraged and frustrated and down, I can be very quick to think, you're, you're not good. You're not good. Why are you doing this? Why are you taking me through this? And God, I would guess most of us feel those things at times. And so I pray this morning that as we look at the story of Elijah, as we see him in despair and we see how you meet him, that you would speak to us through your spirit once again. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pick up in uh, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I've not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. In answer to that first question, what, what do we have in common with Elijah? I think, I think it's this, it's this, that life can weigh us down and leave us discouraged. Life can weigh us down and leave us discouraged. Uh, maybe not quite as bad as Elijah, maybe just as bad if not worse than Elijah. So when I use that word discouragement today, I'm, I'm kind of using that as a blanket statement to cover a lot of different things. Anything from just like minor discouragement to things are not going how I want them to, to I am depressed and can't seem to get out of this. And, and trying to cover the, knowing that there's a, a lot of room in there, but using that word discouragement to kind of cover all of that. And, and for us, life can weigh us down and leave us feeling discouraged. For Elijah, as we look at him, I believe there, there's three things we can draw out of. Why is he feeling so down and so discouraged? And I believe that there are also three things that continue to maybe at times weigh us down and leave us discouraged. The first one is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Uh, for Elijah, we've got to flash back here to chapters 17 and 18. Elijah comes on the scene in chapter 17. It, it, King Ahab is ruling over Israel along with his wife, Queen Jezebel. And they have turned Israel from worshiping God to worshiping this idol, Baal. Everyone has turned their backs on God. And so Elijah shows up and says, God's going to judge you for this as well as show you that he's still God, 
by not having it rain for three years. Elijah prophesies that and then immediately goes on the run for his life, living as a fugitive for the next three years, while prophets are hunted down and killed. Three years later, chapter 18 happens, where God tells Elijah, all right, go back, confront King Ahab and the prophets of Baal. We're going to have a showdown. And this is the famous showdown on Mount Carmel, kind of the, the Super Bowl between God and Baal. Baal doesn't even show up to the game. God makes fire come down from heaven, burning up a sacrifice, rocks, and then gallons of water. And then after three years of drought, God makes it rain. And so Elijah is convinced nationwide revival is about to break out. People, all of Israel is going to turn back to God. They've seen him show up. And, And we know this, I believe, because Elijah runs to a place called Jezreel, which is the capital city of Israel, the the heart of evil at this time. And he would only go there if he's convinced everyone's going to turn back, maybe even King Ahab and Jezebel. And if not, they're going to be overthrown. And then he gets there and nothing happens. Actually, something happens. Jezebel sends him a message and says, you're a dead man. You're a dead man. You think think this has changed? No, I'm going to kill you. You're gone by tomorrow. And so Elijah runs for his life. His expectations are dashed, crushed before him. And the same thing happens to us at times of unmet expectations, that whether it's just bad things that we didn't expect piling up one after another, or it's good things that we do expect, maybe even expecting God to work in some way, And he doesn't year after year after year. And it can weigh us down and leave us discouraged. The second thing for Elijah, I believe, is just the the repetition of life for him. That nothing has changed. He's been on the run for three years. He's been a fugitive for three years. Israel has had their back turned to God for three years. And I was doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it doesn't change. It doesn't change. And for us, when life just kind of repeats itself over and over and over and over and nothing changes, I don't know about you, but that can, that can wear me down. Especially, especially I think if that happens in the context of whatever ministry God has called you to. That if you, you faithfully love your neighbors, and yet you still see them hardened to the gospel or maybe even hardened to your advances. That if, if you're a Sunday school teacher and you teach kids Sunday school week after week after week and you deal with the same battles and never see any fruit, that if you, you proclaim the gospel and, and you're just met with indifference, that if you pray for someone to change for year after year after year and there's no change, that can weigh us down and leave us discouraged. Life, life and whatever ministry God's called you to can feel at times a little bit like raking leaves up. What I mean by that is a couple weeks ago, I had to go out in the morning at our house to rake up some leaves. A couple of our trees had dropped a lot of leaves. Selfishly, I just wanted to wait until a windy day when they blew into my neighbor's yard and I didn't have to deal with them anymore. But I realized that's not the youth pastor thing to do. I should go clean them up. 
So I did. I went out, spent an hour or two blowing them up, breaking them up, putting them on our pile, walked back, in, walked back in the house. Everything looked nice. I felt great. Five hours later, I looked out my window, and the exact same amount of leaves was on the ground under both those trees. It was one of those days where everything was just dropping. I thought, why did I just do that? It, that why did I just waste my time doing that in the morning? I've got to go do the same thing over again. And things in life or things in the ministry God's given you can feel like that. Why, why do I have to fight the same battles over and over? Why do I have to do the same things over and over? And maybe not see change. And that, that can weigh us down. And then the last thing, the third thing, we can see with Elijah, I think for us too, is just failure or, or even a fear of failure. For Elijah, we see this coming through when he calls out to God and actually asks God, God, just take my life away. I'm done. I've had enough. He says, I, I'm no better than my ancestors, which I think a translation for us would be, I couldn't turn Israel back to you any more than the prophets before me. I couldn't change their hearts any more than any of the other prophets. And we, we see, I believe, Elijah's passion, his life's passion coming through in these verses, like, I thought I was going to be the prophet who turned Israel back to you. I thought everything was going to change, that they were going to love you again, God. But I failed. I failed. I'm no better than any of the other prophets. And failure, or even just fear of failure, when it is something near and dear and important to us, can leave us really discouraged at times. Think of the, the high school basketball player who misses game-winning foul shots and feels like he or she has left the team down. It can drop someone into despair really fast. The person who fails in the job that they love to do can sink down into discouragement. The, the college student who isn't living up to their expectations or maybe their parents' expectations can start to get really discouraged. I, I've failed in something that's important to me. And sometimes... Sometimes the reality is that, that might point out our identity, our worth, it is maybe in the wrong place. I, I think of, for me, I've told people this before, but when I drive home, on my drive from church to my home on Sunday nights after youth ministry, can either be the best part of my week or the worst part of my week. If everything's going really well, we've had a good night, I'm on cloud nine. This is the best part of my week. If youth group was a train wreck and nothing went right and it was like, what happened tonight? It can be the worst part of my week. I would guess there's probably something like that for you. There's some area that if you fail in it or you feel like you failed or you fear failing, that it can drop you, sink you really quick. Life, just as it did for Elijah, can weigh us down and leave us discouraged. And so... The second question that we get to this morning, which really is what I want to answer for the rest of the time, is how does God respond to us in the midst of our discouragement? As we look at how he shows up and responds to Elijah, what can we learn about how God responds to us in the midst of our discouragement? So let's pick back up in verse 5 of chapter 19, and we'll read up to verse 10. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread ba break, 
baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and get some more, eat some more, for the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. How do we see God respond to Elijah in his discouragement? How do we see him respond to us in our discouragement? First of all, in discouragement, God is still with us. In discouragement, God is still with us. That when we get way down and discouraged, it can be very easy to feel like we're all alone. And you see this coming through with Elijah. Even in verse 5, he's sitting alone in the wilderness. And then in verse 11, he's saying, I'm the only one left. No one else cares about you, God. It's me and me only one out here. The story shows God is still with Elijah and he's still with us in the midst of whatever discouragement we go through. God is, I would say, drawing near and drawing out. That in discouragement, God draws near to us and God draws us out. God draws near to us and God draws us out. First, look at, look at how he responds to Elijah right away. He sends an angel to bake some bread, give him some water, and tell him, take a nap. He sends a bread. Here, here's some bread. Here's some food. Here's some, here's some water. Take a nap, Elijah. God does, does not show up and say, Elijah, stop whining. Don't, don't you remember what I did like one chapter ago? Don't you remember I've been, stop whining, get up, get back to work. What is your problem? God isn't like the uh, baseball coach in a league of their own, who when he sees one of his players discouraged says, there's no crying in baseball. Elijah, there's no crying in prophecy. Get your act together. Let's go. God's actually far more gentle than I think even what we might expect. That he's... It's almost like a nurse caring for Elijah, rubbing his back, giving him food, giving him water, giving him rest, nursing him back to health. Now, why does that matter? I believe that matters because how we view God in the midst of our discouragement really matters. That if, if we think God must be really disappointed with me because I feel like this, because this is how I'm responding, it will just weigh us down even more. It will just drop us even more. It will discourage us even more. But if we recognize God is still with me, he is caring for me, he is meeting my needs, he is with me in the midst of this, then it might start to shine a little bit of a light in on our discouragement. The other thing that we could even see here is that sometimes when we're discouraged, maybe a first step is just to do something with our, respond in a a physical way. Like eat some food, take a nap, go for a run, go go out hunting, 
Go, go for a walk. Read a book. Do, do something you enjoy. Maybe, I'm going to couch this statement, but maybe as Christians, sometimes we're too quick to jump to spiritual solutions when we or someone else is discouraging, discouraged, thinking, just pray, just read a Bible verse, just go listen to worship music. While those things are absolutely good and there's absolutely a need for spiritual solutions, sometimes it's also important to realize we have physical bodies and discouragement that is part of that sometimes. And sometimes we, we, we need to do something physically that might help in the midst of our discouragement. God draws near to us. He cares for us. The second thing, I love this, God draws us out. God draws Elijah out. He asks Elijah a question. So what, what are you doing here? Some people look at that and they say, that, that's God rebuking Elijah. Sort of like a high school teacher who finds a student in a hallway they're not supposed to be and says, what are you doing here? Get back to where you're supposed to be. I don't, I don't believe that's what God is doing because he's already been so gentle with Elijah. I, I believe what God's really asking is, is kind of a version of, Elijah, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? Tell me what's wrong. Unburden yourself. Like, like a parent who maybe in the middle of the night finds one of their young kids uh, jumping into bed with them and asks, what are you doing here? It's essentially what I said, what, what's wrong? Is, is, there, is there a monster under your bed? You, don't, you have a nightmare? Is, is your older brother picking on you again? What, what's wrong? What, what are you doing here? I believe that's what God is doing here, that he's drawing Elijah out, saying, unburden yourself. I, I love when God asks questions in the Bible. When we're, when we're reading the Bible and we see God asking someone a question, we should take note of that, because it's often God's way of drawing us to him. In this case, it's his way of telling Elijah, Elijah, just Tell me what's going wrong. Tell, tell me what's weighing you down. Tell me what's discouraging you. And sometimes for us being able to just unburden ourselves, say this is what's weighing me down, can start to help when we're discouraged. Uh, every, every couple of years, some high school friends and I go on a like, weekend backpacking trip. Uh, the first time we did it, we went to Shenandoah Valley. And we, we went for a weekend backpacking around Shenandoah Valley. And I, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I still don't because I don't go out that often. But I made the dumb mistake of putting way too much stuff in my backpack. So I bought a new hiking backpack. But then I proceeded to load it up with like actually a, a cooler uh, and some ice packs in it. Uh, I put in a, a coffee percolator. Uh, I put in two big bags of party mix. I packed more clothes than I needed. I'm pretty sure I packed a couple books because uh, what was I going to do at night in the tent? I had to read. And, and it, it weighed probably 40 to 50 pounds, which was way too much. But when I put it on my back initially, it's like, this is, this is heavy, but I can bear it. But three miles in, I realized, oh, th this is not going to be good. Uh, five miles in, six miles in, seven miles in, I was starting to hurt. First, my shoulders hurt, uh, then my back hurt, then my legs started to hurt, and finally, my, my feet started to blister and hurt. And, and I was thinking, this is miserable. Who invented the sport, the hobby of backpacking? They, they should be shot. This is awful. What are we doing here? It was terrible. But when I got to, or when we got to our campsite, and I was able to take that backpack off, lay it on the ground, 
things started to change a little bit. That all of a sudden, I'm sitting by a fire with my friends in the middle of the woods. Backpacking's not too bad. This is all right. Yes, I, I still hurt. I still had to put that backpack on the next morning, but just being able to unburden myself, take it off, started to shine a new light on that situation. The same might be true for us with discouragement. Might not make it go away, make it disappear, but it might provide some relief. That for you, if you're able to sit across from a friend who you know cares for you, and they ask, how are you doing? And you can just kind of lay it out for them. That can be a great gift. That maybe it is uh, writing it down in a journal. Sometimes for me, if I'm discouraged, just being able to write out, here's why I'm discouraged, and maybe even as a way of saying, God, help me in the midst of this. I, I'm so frustrated and so down. Or, or maybe just going on a walk for you and being able to bear your soul. Just express, here's why I'm so down and discouraged right now. Can start to shine a light in or provide some relief. John Stark, a pastor who wrote a book on prayer, related it this way, kind of comparing prayer to this said, I experienced a long season of depression in 2015. I remember sitting in a diner with a close friend, sharing my inability to shake it. I was half expecting him to distance himself and give me some well-meaning encouragement that would end our meeting. Instead, he leaned in and listened. He asked probing questions. He demonstrated love. It was one of those moments where it was safe to fall apart with another person. We might be able to learn from that quote that when someone's starting to share something heavy, maybe your tendency like me is to kind of back off, try to lob in some encouragement and get away when instead we might be able to lean in, listen, ask a couple questions, and it might be a great gift to them. But it's also John Stark is comparing this to prayer, that prayer, that, that, that it's okay to fall apart with God. We, we've got to get rid of this idea that we sometimes have, I believe, of I've got to have my act together to come before God. I've got to have all the right words, all the right phrases. I can't say the wrong thing. That is, that's not true. We don't see that in the Bible, that it's okay to fall apart, to not have the right words, to say, God, what, is, what are you doing? What is happening here? This is weighing me down. And discouragement God is still with us, drawing near to us and drawing us out. Let's keep reading on to see what else he's doing. Pick back up in verse 11. He tells Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the rock. It was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Uh, I believe that as we, we look at those verses, we could see that in discouragement, 
God is still working and speaking. That in the midst of discouragement, God is still working and speaking. As Elijah's discouraged, he decides, I'm going to go walk, run, travel 200 miles through the desert, through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, which should make us ask, why? I don't know about you, but when I'm discouraged, I'm not looking for a 200-mile trek through the desert. More often, I'm maybe turning on Netflix and trying to, to drown my discouragement out. Why is Elijah running through the desert? Because he's, he's going to Mount Sinai, to a place where he knows hundreds of years earlier, God showed up and revealed himself to Moses. And Elijah is effectively saying by going there, God, show me yourself. I want to encounter you. Show me what you're doing. Tell me what's going on. Reveal yourself to me. Show me what's happening. And so Elijah gets there on the same mountain God revealed himself to Moses. God tells him, come out of the cave. And then a tornado comes first, a whirlwind. And then an earthquake shaking the whole mountain. And, th and then a fire blasting heat into the cave. But after each one, we find the words, but God was not in them. And then there's this still, small, quiet voice. Like our, our text said, a, a gentle whisper. And God speaks in the whisper. What, what's happening here? Why, why does God reveal himself in this way? What is going on in the midst of this encounter? Two things, I believe. First of all, God is telling Elijah and us, just because I did not work in the way that you expected me to does not mean that I'm not still at work. Just because I did not work how you expected me to does not mean that I am not still at work in ways that you don't expect. Because just as Elijah would have expected God to bring nationwide revival, so on Mount Sinai, when the whirlwind showed up, he would have expected God. Because that's how God appeared to Job. When the earthquake showed up, he would have expected God because when God came on Mount Sinai before with Moses, the whole mountain shook. When the fire showed up, he would have expected God, because that's how God appeared to Abraham in Genesis 15. And it's just what he did on Mount Carmel, sending fire. And yet in each of those, says God was not in them. And then the whisper comes, the last thing Elijah would have expected, and God is in it, speaking to Elijah. Is telling Elijah, just because I didn't work how you expected me to does not mean that I'm not still at work. We, we often tend to expect God to, to work in the big, flashy ways. The, the ways that, that maybe give us spiritual goosebumps and, and leave us with incredible stories to tell and, and bring about drastic change in an instant. And God does work in those ways. But far more often, he's at work in small, little moments, kind of like a whisper. I, I love how Paul Tripp puts it. He puts it this way. He says, the little moments of life are profoundly important, precisely because they are the little moments that we live in and that form us. This is where I think big drama Christianity gets us into trouble. It can cause us to devalue the significance of the little moments of life and the small change grace that meets us there. This is really important when we feel discouraged because God hasn't worked in some way we expect him to. To know and believe 
God is still at work in some way, even though I have no idea how, is really, really important to us to believe when we feel discouraged and when life weighs down on us. The second thing here that God's doing this, I believe, is that he's saying, Elijah, I am still speaking. That when we get discouraged and when life weighs us down, it, it can often feel as though God has gone silent. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel that way at times. When, when things don't go, I want them to. Things go bad, it feels like, God, you've just gone silent on me. But the reality is, God never goes silent on us. He is always speaking still. We just may be looking for him on, on the wrong channel. When I was 14 years old, actually like from 14 to 16, uh, I used to go out hunting. I don't hunt anymore. Uh, but I used to go out hunting with my dad and my brothers and my cousins and my grandpas. And this was before any of us, I think any of us, at least before I had a cell phone. That's right, 14 years old, no cell phone. I think I still turned out okay. But, but we needed, in that time, we needed, okay, how do we get a hold of each other? If we need help, we want to find out, hey, did you just take that shot or is that someone else? How do we, how do we get a hold of each other? So, so we carried around walkie-talkies two-way radios. Uh, it was kind of like the precursor to those really annoying Nextel two-way radio phones. Uh, this wasn't actually a phone, just a walkie-talkie, and it could, it could travel for, or it could get a signal for miles, so we could talk to each other. But the reality is we could be calling out on that, asking for help, or trying to say, hey, did you just take that shot? And, and feel like they're being silent. They're not responding. What's going on? when we might have just been tuned in to the wrong channel. Because there was 10 channels on those things, and you had to, at the beginning of the morning, say, hey, are we going to be on eight or seven in order to be able to make the connection and hear them coming through? In discouragement, I think sometimes we feel like God is silent because we don't feel him. We don't feel him. And maybe... We're just looking for God to speak on the wrong channel, forgetting that he is always, always speaking through his word. And just because we don't feel him, just because he feels distant, doesn't mean that he has gone silent on us. See, in discouragement, I need to be reminded, I'm guessing you do too, over and over again, to trust God's word more than I trust my feelings. And it's not that feelings are bad at all, it's just that our feelings, especially when we're discouraged, can be a bad guide. God is still speaking. In fact, I think one of the best ways God is still speaking in discouragement is in the Psalms, a book that lets us, gives us words to express our discouragement and hear God speaking to us at the same time. The Psalms can be incredibly helpful and encouraging when we face discouragement. God is still working and God is still speaking in the midst of discouragement. Let's finish on, go on to chapter 18, or to verse 18, sorry, and see one more way God shows up in our discouragement. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram, then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. 
and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, Mahalah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazio will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Kind of some weird verses maybe. But I believe what God's telling Elijah and us is that in discouragement, he still has a plan. In discouragement, God still has a plan. In these verses, Elijah's reminding God, or God is reminding Elijah, just because your plans have not worked out does not mean that I don't still have a plan. Just because your vision for the future has fallen apart does not mean that my plans have fallen apart. Elijah. In fact, let let me tell you my plan. I'm going to raise up two new kings who are going to eradicate Baal worship from Israel. I'm going to raise up a new prophet who's going to keep speaking to Israel. And through it all, I'm going to keep 7,000 people who've never bowed a knee to Baal. Elijah, you aren't alone. I am doing something far bigger, involving more people than you could imagine, and something far longer, covering more distance than you could imagine. Elijah, my plans have not failed. I am still at work. Oh, how I think we need to be reminded of that when we're discouraged. God's plan has not failed. Ours may have. God's has not failed. There's, there's a story told of Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 15th century, that he, he would at times sink into despair and depression sometimes for days on end. And in the midst of one of those seasons, his wife, Catherine, who he gave so much credit to, uh, decided, I'm going to dress up in black clothes like I'm going to a funeral. And so she started walking around the house in black clothes. And at some point, Luther recognized and he said, well, what's wrong? Did someone die? She said, yeah. And Luther said, well, well, who? And she responded, well, according to you, God has died. According to you, God has died. Luther got the message. Just because I am discouraged, just because things have not gone how I plan them to be, does not mean God's plan is dead. He still has a plan. When my plans, when your plans, don't go how you want them to, God still has a plan. In fact, when nothing in your life, nothing in my life, goes how you planned it to, everything is going how God planned it to. That is, that's been deeply encouraging for me to remember that at many times in my life, but especially at times throughout this past year. When nothing goes how I want it to, everything is going how God has planned it to. This leads to the last thing, that really the, the main takeaway for this morning, that we should let the gospel and not discouragement shape how we view God. We should let the gospel and not discouragement shape how we view God. Because we, if we think back over how God shows up in this story, that, that it's ultimately in Jesus that God shows he is with us through the deepest valley. It's why at Christmas time we start to say Emmanuel or sing Emmanuel. God with us. God as one of us in Christ. That, that it's in Jesus that God most clearly speaks as well as works in a way that we never would have expected, showing up as a helpless little baby who then goes and dies on the cross. 
and that it's in Jesus that God most fully reveals his plan. That Paul talks about it being a mystery that was hidden for ages, but is now revealed in Christ. God's plan to save people back to him so that they might enjoy him forever. It's really easy for us to have discouragement color everything else in our lives. Color not just how we view God, but color everything. But it's also that we should realize the gospel has the power to color not just how we view God, but everything in our lives. See, discouragement, we have a choice, I think, on a regular basis, actually, that we can say, I'm going to look through the lens of discouragement at this, or I'm going to look through the lens of the gospel at what is happening right now. Discouragement would tell us, God God has pulled away from me. He has abandoned me. He has turned his back on me. And the gospel would tell us, God is still with me. God is still with me, even through the deepest valleys. Discouragement would tell us, God is against you. God is against you. He doesn't care about you anymore. He is his turn to work against you. The gospel would say, God is for me forever and always. Discouragement would say, God's plans aren't good. God's plans are not good. Don't you see? This is a lousy plan. The gospel would tell us, God's plans are good. In fact, they're far better than we could ever even imagine, even though that's really hard to believe at times. One of my favorite songs of all time It's actually written in 1773. It was written by a man named William Cooper. Uh, William Cooper uh, was a poet and a hymn writer. And he was also someone who went through deep valleys of despair and depression in his life, both before becoming a Christian and after becoming a Christian. So much so that at times he just talked about, like, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, sunk deep down. And it was in the midst of his discouragement despair, that he wrote a famous hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Now, I think sometimes we can use that as kind of a cliche, but he was using it to wrestle with, why is my life so difficult at times, so discouraging, and yet God still says he's good. And in, in that song, he penned these words. I love these words. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. That when we get discouraged and life weighs us down, it can be very easy to look at our circumstances and think, God is frowning on me right now. God is frowning on me. And yet the gospel would tell us, in the midst of every single thing we face, God is smiling on us. It may seem like that smile is hidden in this moment, but he is smiling on us nonetheless. That when we have had enough, the God who smiles on us is still enough in all of those moments. Let's pray. God, it, it can be so easy at times in life to get weighed down by cares and concerns and things that are painful and things that have not gone how we want them to or expect them to. God, I I would guess there are people in here this morning who are feeling that and that there are people in here this morning who aren't feeling that but will be feeling that next Sunday, that all of us face that sooner or later. 
And God, I pray that when we do, when we do, when discouragement weighs us down, you would again remind us over and over and over, you smile upon us in Christ. You smile upon us in Christ and that would shine light into the darkness that we may face. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.